Well, good morning, church. It's good to see everyone this morning. And uh, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 11 today, a very familiar passage of Scripture. At least the last half of this uh, passage of Scripture is very, very familiar to us. Um, But I wanted to make sure we preach this passage, Come to Me, All You Who Are Weary and, and Heavy Laden. I wanted to preach that within its context today, because I think this is one of those passages that we can really tend to misunderstand exactly what Jesus is driving at when he calls us to come and to give our burdens to him. So we started last week this series, Anxious for Nothing, and I want to thank Matt for uh, preaching the first message to us. It was actually Matt's idea that we do a uh, a series like this. We had talked about it a few months ago, and And so I'm glad that he was able to to start that for us. And and we're going to be talking about uh, this biblical uh, topic of anxiety, what the Bible has to say uh, to us in this regard. And we realize today that we are living in an anxious world. I mean, if you can't see that, we are living in a world that is riddled with fear and anxiety from all kinds of, of sources and and causes, but I want to get down to the brass tacks today of what I think the Bible is setting before us in terms of the real cause of anxiety. And and in particular, the cause of anxiety for us as followers of Jesus Christ. And so I want to talk to two different groups today. Uh, First, I want to speak to those who are followers of Jesus Christ. You have repented of your sins. You have trusted in Christ as your Savior. You understand there's only one name given under heaven by which we might be saved. And you have entered into that living relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to speak to you today because I think this passage speaks to you. And this passage would remind us today that really we are, as we've entitled this series, we really are anxious for nothing. We really have no reason for anxiety in the Christian life, as we're going to see in this passage. But but I also want to address today those of you that have not yet trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Those who are continuing in their sin, separated from the love of God. And I want to say to you from the very beginning this morning, you have every reason to be anxious. And not because of COVID, not because of the economy, not because of the political unrest, not because of what's happening in Afghanistan. You have a problem much greater than that if you don't know Jesus. And so I want to try to speak to those two groups today as we look at what the Bible would say about the cause of anxiety. Now, uh, you could actually just kind of tune out uh, on this message because already last week, Matt gave us the cure for anxiety. And so if you just want to run to the cure, you just go back and listen to his message last week. But but Matt uh, gave us this definition, and I wanted to repeat it because I thought it was really helpful. Anxiety is an uneasiness of mind or a fearful concern. At its core is control. It assumes control over the uncontrollable. I think that's so helpful because we oftentimes find ourselves seeking to control that which is beyond our control and our worry, our anxiety, our 
fearfulness becomes a means of us doing that. And our Savior is calling us to a different kind of lifestyle. And so here's our key truth for the morning. We're going to talk about today how anxiety creeps into the Christian life. What causes us as believers to be anxious? Again, if you're an unbeliever this morning, if you've not yet trusted Jesus as your Savior, you have every reason to be anxious. We'll talk more about that before we finish this morning. But if you are following Jesus Christ, really and truly, there is no cause for us to be anxious. We are anxious for nothing. But then the question remains, so why are we then anxious as Christians? And I think it's because we're a forgetful people. We fall into anxiety when we forget who we are as the people of God. When we forget what he has done through for us through his son. And so I want to remind us of who we are today. First of all, anxiety creeps into the Christian life when we forget that we are children of the sovereign one. When we forget literally who our father actually is, we can fall into anxiety. And so Jesus here says to his disciples in this prayer in their midst, he says that he declares, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. Now we'll talk about what these things are in just a moment, but just hang on. You have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and you've revealed them to little children. And it's almost as if Jesus then gets a little excited when he says, yes, Father. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So we we see here that there's both a, a group that has some things hidden from them and a group that has some things revealed to them. So what are these things I think in the context of this passage, we begin to understand very clearly, these are the things of the kingdom. Matthew's gospel is all about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God doesn't operate according to the principles of the kingdom of this world. It's really, uh, from a human perspective, it's an upside-down kingdom. It's a kingdom that, that operates very differently from what we might expect. And so what he's saying here is, in this upside-down kingdom, in God's kingdom, and the way that God operates, the way that he does things, that there is both a group to whom the things of the kingdom are concealed And there's a group to whom the things of the kingdom are revealed. And he points out here that the things of the kingdom, this gospel of the kingdom, is often concealed by the intellect. You have hidden these things, he says, from the wise and the understanding. Now, don't misunderstand here. The Bible commends us toward wisdom, but there are two types of wisdom that we might pursue. There is a worldly wisdom. That's what he's talking about here. And then there is a godly wisdom like we would find in the book of Proverbs or some of the wisdom literature of the Bible. The book of James would be a great example of of godly wisdom. So there's, there's two types of wisdom. This is the worldly wise that we're talking about here in this verse. And he's saying that the gospel, the good news of of the kingdom is often concealed by those who are walking in a worldly wisdom. Their intellect gets in the way. Now, don't misunderstand again, this is not encouraging us to be anti intellectual. 
The Bible encourages us to study, particularly the things of God. It doesn't encourage us toward ignorance. But this is a pride in the intellect. This is one who is trusting in their vast learning and education and the abilities that have come from that. This is a pride that that someone is, is believing that they know everything that they need to know. Whereas the wisdom of God begins where? It begins with the fear of the Lord. With a posture of humility toward God, not pride in our accomplishments. And so for some, the gospel is veiled, it's concealed, it's hidden. In 2 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul reminds us, even if our gospel is veiled, and for some it is, just as Jesus said, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, notice that's the little g God of this world, that's speaking about Satan here, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. He's blinded their minds. And one of the means that Satan uses to blind the minds of some is intellectual pursuits. There's a simplicity to to this gospel. There's a childlikeness required for the kingdom. Remember what Jesus said? Unless you would enter the kingdom as a child, you shall not enter it. That's what he's referencing here. And so he's reminding us that at times our intellect, our learning, our accumulation of knowledge can get in the way. Man, do I see that today. We want to know everything about everything. We think we got to have all the details. We, we listen ad nauseum to news reports that are saying the same thing over and over and over again as if somehow that's going to bring us the peace and the comfort and, and the security that we're looking for. And the reality is it never will. But while the gospel is often concealed by the intellect... The gospel is openly revealed to the infant. That word child there, these references, it's revealed to the children. That word could just as easily have been translated to the infant. To the youngest, the weakest, the most unable among us. That's the ones to whom God in his infinite wisdom has chosen to reveal the secrets of the kingdom. That's the ones to whom he gives this great gospel to. 2 Corinthians 4 again. For God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Why has God revealed the secrets of the kingdom to infants? Because then he gets the glory. He is the one who has given us the light. We didn't discover the light on our own. If you are walking with Jesus today, it wasn't because there was a day when you figured it all out. It wasn't because there was a day when you woke up and said, hey, following Jesus sounds like a good deal. No, it was a pursuit that he had in your life. There was an unveiling that he did in your life. It was his work from the very beginning. 
And then Jesus, and again, just like an exclamation, he says, Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. I love what R.C. Sproul said about that phrase. He said, God decrees and wills only what pleases him. And the only thing that pleases him is that which is right. If it seemed good to God to hide these truths from some and reveal them to others, it was good. I would love to underline and highlight and bold that again and again. For God does all things well. Jesus gives thanks for this and we should do the same. But here's what we often do. We see this this revealing and this concealing and we say, well, that doesn't seem fair. Why is it all right for God to conceal these truths from some and to reveal them for others? First of all, we need to be reminded that these truths are God's truths. He can do with them as he pleases. And we need to be reminded of the character of our God. As Abraham prayed in the, in the book of Genesis, he is the judge of all the earth who will do that which is right. Only he knows that which is fully and firmly and completely right and good. He is the very definition of that which is good. He can do no other. And yet we question him. How is it that he can reveal to some and conceal from others that seems wrong to us? And yet all he does is good. And here the son proclaims, yes, father, this is your gracious will. This is your good pleasure could be another translation of that phrase. In Matthew 16, we see this interchange between Jesus and his disciples. Not long after many had turned back and no longer were, were following him and, and, and the, the story of the Gospel of Matthew is heading rapidly toward the cross, there's this little interchange where Jesus says to them, Matthew 16, verse 15, he says, who do you say that I am? They were having this discussion about what everybody was saying about Jesus, all their opinions, and even today there are still many opinions about who Jesus is. But Jesus gets down to the brass tacks with his disciples and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, for once, gets it right. Peter often is the foot and mouth disciple. He, he oftentimes is speaking out of turn. But here, Peter nails it, even though in the next paragraph he has another foot and mouth situation. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. No more true statement could be spoken about Jesus Christ. We still make that proclamation today. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, and he didn't just say, hey, good job, Peter. I'm glad you figured that out. No, he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Where did you come to this truth, Peter? God opened your eyes to this truth. He unstopped your deaf ears that you might hear this truth. He opened your hardened heart that you might receive this truth. I want us to understand, church, this morning and be reminded any truth that we possess comes to us as the gift of God. That keeps us from this intellectual pride and keeps us in humility as a child of the Father. So we oftentimes see anxiety creep in when we forget that we are children 
of the sovereign one but we also see anxiety creeping into our lives when we forget that we are chosen by his spotless son now verse 27 of our text is one of those verses that has caused so much debate over the years and it causes a lot of uh, theological anxiety for many folks but i want you just to hear what jesus said After this prayer, Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. If you're taking notes this morning, you might just jot down John chapter 6 because you see so many statements in John chapter 6 as Jesus is talking about being the bread of life that line up exactly with what Matthew is putting forth here. This knowledge that the Son has of the Father and the Father has of the Son. And this isn't just a know like you would know an acquaintance. This is an intimate knowledge. This is an intimate, deep, relational knowledge. This is not just I know about this person, but I know them. This is the knowledge that a, that a husband and wife have for one another. This is a, the knowledge that close friends have of one another. This is to know and to know completely. And he's saying no one knows the Father this way except me. And no one knows me this way except the Father. And anyone, anyone notice this, And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Now we start getting into this choosing language, especially as it relates to God, and we start to get nervous. Now wait a minute. That means we all, here's where we go in our thinking. We automatically go to this place where we say, well, if God chooses, then that means I've got no choice. I'm just a robot. Understand very clearly As we look at this passage today, Jesus is setting before us this divine balance between God's sovereignty and complete authority over all things and our responsibility to respond to him by faith. He is holding in perfect tension these two things, which is what we must seek to do as well. Charles Spurgeon was once asked, how do you reconcile this distinction between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And I I love what Charles Spurgeon said. His response was, I never seek to reconcile, friends. These things are not at odds with one another. These things are working together. Yes, there's a mystery here, and there's so much that we strive and struggle to understand And yet we should be comforted by the fact that we are worshiping a God who is completely sovereign, who is in control of all things. If there is one molecule in the universe that is outside of his sovereign control, we are a people without hope. But because everything is under his control, then we have great assurance as the people of God and we need be anxious for nothing because our Father, our Father is in control and he does all things well. In truth, this choosing that Jesus is talking about here, this should be a source of amazing comfort to us, not a source of conflict among us. And yet so often it becomes this because, we again, we run to this place of, well, if God chooses some, then that must mean he doesn't choose others. 
And we get into all, again, this intellectual battle that takes place when really what Jesus is seeking to do here is to bring us the greatest element of comfort that we could possibly have. That we would be comforted by the fact that God in His gracious will has chosen to reveal Himself to us. Has chosen to draw us into a relationship with Him. Has not left us in our sins. But has called us unto Himself. It's the exclamation of the Apostle John in 1 John 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. What kind of love? The kind of love that we should be called the children of God. And much like Jesus gives the exclamation here, Yes, Father. John says, and so we are. Not so we will be or so we might be. So we are. This is a present reality. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've followed the instructions that we're about to get into in verses 28 through 30 and you've come to Him, you've taken up His yoke, you're learning from Him, if that's true, then you belong to the Father and there is no reason for anxiety to have a stranglehold in your life. This doesn't mean that we're a careless people. It actually means that we care more deeply. Because we understand that the concerns of our Father are at the forefront. We don't care less. We care rightly when we draw near to this Savior who has chosen us in His grace. Not only this, but the great reminder, the great assurance that those who come to Him, He will never be cast out. Such assurance as Jesus says Himself in John chapter 6, all that the Father gives to Me will come to Me. And whoever comes to Me, I will never cast out. Now, if that leaves you in a place where you're saying, well, how do I know if the Father has given me to the Son? Here's the answer. You come to Jesus. We get so wrapped up in this stuff, so tied up in our in our thinking, and it's really not that difficult. How do you know if you belong to Him? You come to Him. All that the Father has given will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. It's not as if you're going to come into that day when you stand before Him in heaven, and He's going to, and you're going to say, "Lord, I've been trusting in You. I've, I've been trying to, to live my life for You. I've repented of my sins." It's not like you're going to come to Him on that day, and He's going to say, "Oh, I'm sorry, we're full." No, He knows those who belong to Him. The Father has given these to the Son, and the Son will never cast them out. This leaves us in a place of great assurance. Now, there is a place of false assurance in which we might reside. False gospels that we might believe. But for those who are clinging to the faith for once for all delivered to the saints, this ought to leave us in a place of immense assurance that's free from anxiety and worry. Jesus says in Matthew 22, at the end of one of his parables, he said, many are called, but few are chosen. 
call goes out into all the earth, those that respond to that call, chosen by the Son to come and dwell in relation with Him, this should bring us amazing assurance. Finally this morning, we are children of the Sovereign One. We are chosen by His spotless Son. And then, we need to be reminded as well that anxiety creeps into the Christian life when we forget that we are challenged to see sin undone. Here's the perspective that we need. As we are wrestling with the anxiety of our day, here's the mindset that will enable us to be overcomers. So Jesus says this familiar passage, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Now some would say, well, which is it? Is he going to give me rest or am I going to find rest? And the answer is simply yes. There's a rest that is given and there's a rest to be found. There's a rest that's given when we first trust in Christ and there's a rest that's increasingly found as we're walking with Him, drawing nearer to Him, growing in Him. But notice Jesus' description of Himself. I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's not typically who we run to when we've got major issues. If I've really got something causing me anxiety, major problem going on in my life, isn't it our human tendency to want to run to someone who is strong and great? But gentle and lowly, what's that guy going to be able to do for me? I love what Dana Ortland wrote. Uh, by the way, I'd recommend this book to you, Gentle and Lowly. A wonderful book just came out last year, I believe. He said, in the one place in the Bible where the Son of God pulls back the veil and lets us peer way down into the core of who he is, we are not told that he is austere and demanding in heart. We are not told that he is exalted and dignified in heart. We're not even told that he's joyful and generous in heart. Letting Jesus set the terms, his surprising claim is that he is gentle and lowly in heart again an upside down kingdom is at work here this is not what we would expect we think if somebody's going to deal with the things that i'm most worried about i want them to speak about their strength their ability their authority and jesus has spoken about his authority in this passage but when he comes to this place of, of of bidding us to come to him of inviting us to draw near to him he wants to remind us of something about his heart that we would easily miss which is the fact that he is gentle and lowly. That there is a meekness about him. We're challenged to see sin undone. And we come to this passage and we hear Jesus talking about burdens. Come to me all you're weary and heavy laden. We hear those words and, and automatically, I think, our minds begin to go to certain types of burdens. If I were to ask you, what are you most burdened about today? 
Perhaps some would say COVID. Perhaps some would say my marriage. Perhaps some would say my kids, my job. We can go on and on with the things that might be burdening us. But I want you to see this morning that Jesus is not primarily talking about any of those issues. That that is not his primary reference here when he says, come and, and, and lay your burdens here. He is not primarily talking about all those circumstantial things. So what then is he talking about? He's talking about our greatest burden. And we need to be reminded this morning that our greatest burden is our sin debt. So I want to come back to talking for a moment this morning to those who've not yet trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You need to understand this morning the greatest burden in your life is not COVID or the economy or politics or your personal issues. The greatest burden of all mankind has been and will continue to be until that final day, our sin debt, that we have rebelled against a holy and righteous God and are deserving of His wrath. That is the burden that Jesus is primarily speaking about here. So before we run to talking about all the other circumstantial burdens, see, this burden is the greatest of them all. But that gives us hope. See, preacher, how does that give us hope? Well, there's this principle in the Scriptures, and I think Matt even referenced it last week, and we're going to see we see it here again in this passage, a principle of understanding a lot of the way that the Bible uh, describes uh, relationships between things. And it's this principle. What's true of the greater is also true of the lesser. So I told you the the burden here that Jesus is primarily talking about is our sin debt. But if we take this principle, what's true of the greater is also true of the lesser, then here's what we come up with. If Jesus then can deal with my sin debt, then he can deal with the sorrow in my heart. If Jesus can deal with my guilt before a holy God, then he can deal with my grief at the passing of my loved one. If Jesus can deal with the very wrath of God that comes against sinners, then his promise to give us rest remains true. Because he who bore God's wrath can surely guarantee us rest. Relief from our anxieties and our struggles. He is the one who guarantees us peace with God through his cross. And so once again, we then would be anxious for nothing. Because our greatest burden has been removed by our great Savior. See, we don't think this way. We kind of put these in different categories. Say, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus dealt with my sin. That was over here, back there. But what does that have to do with my current anxieties? And I'm saying to you this morning, based on the authority of the Word of God, that has everything to do with your anxieties. Because the one who took the full weight of your sin upon himself so that you might become the righteousness of God 2 Corinthians 5.21 That one is the one who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. 
I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. How can he say all those things? Because of the cross. Because of the cross. It's only in light of the cross that this invitation makes any sense whatsoever. We see it in that light. And it's in that light that Jesus could then give us our task for the remainder of our days. Our task for the remainder of our days is not to sit around worrying about when COVID will pass or when the economy will get better or whether our job is going to be there or whether our kids are going to turn from their rebellion. That is not our job until our king comes. Our job until our king comes is what Jesus said in Matthew 28. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Who gave it to him? The Father. The Father gave him all authority. And therefore, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. This is the task that ought to be consuming our minds. We've become so easily distracted from this great task, church. Go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. The same one who said, come and learn from me. He is both the teacher and the subject matter, by the way. Teach them all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I will never leave you or forsake you is the promise of God. Whatever you are walking through, he is walking there with you. He is the shepherd who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. We trust him because he's trustworthy, because he's never failed. He's always proven faithful to his word. And so I would ask you this morning, as we come to the close of this message, Have you received the king's invitation? This king is not like a worldly king. He is not prideful and high-minded. He is gentle and lowly. He invites you to come to him. Not to come to life principles. Not to come to some kind of doctrinal truths but to come to Him. That's where rest is to be found. He Himself is our peace. The solution to our anxiety is found fully and completely in Him so that we might truly be anxious for nothing. Would you hear the King's command today? Come to me. All you who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray together.